I want you to go with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19 in John's gospel. Repeatedly, as we've studied John's gospel together, we've seen John putting this fact before our eyes again and again, and before our hearts again and again, pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. This is John's purpose in this gospel. Pointing to this truth again and again, that Jesus is God in human flesh for the purpose that we might believe in Him and be saved. I've pointed often to the passage in John 20, John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31, which makes this especially clear. Just listen to these two verses from John 20. Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This has been John's purpose to make clear for us, to make clear for all who read this gospel just who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus? John makes that clear to help us see, of course, and believe that this Jesus is God in human flesh. And that having seen, we would believe in Him, and having believed in Him, that we would have life in His name, eternal life, and forgiveness of sins. Now we come to the point in John's Gospel today, in John chapter 19, where he is telling us of Jesus' body being removed from the cross and buried. And his purpose for sharing what he does is just as before. He has not changed his purpose here. His purpose is to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by seeing who he is, we might believe and have life everlasting life and forgiveness of sins in his name. Now the way John declares who Jesus is in the passage before us today is by pointing to a few prophecies fulfilled. He points to prophecies about Jesus that are fulfilled in his death and his burial. And there are a few here, and again, it is his intent here to show us these prophecies fulfilled so that we would believe I thought you'd be there with me by now. So that we would believe, right? I want you to see these prophecies today in this passage. So as we look at the passage before us in John 19, the question for us is, will will I believe? Will you believe? As you see the evidence for the deity of Christ and these prophecies fulfilled, will you look to Christ and believe? I trust that there are many of you here today who have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me encourage you who do believe to look again at these prophecies fulfilled. Look again that you may be strengthened in your walk with Christ today. Look again at these powerful truths to be reminded of why Jesus Christ died for you, and why this is such a precious truth for you who believe that you may live a holy and Christ-honoring life because you are reminded once again of what Jesus accomplished for you by dying on the cross. 
On the other hand, if you are one who has not looked to Christ, if you are here today and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, would you look at the evidence before you in God's Word today? Will you believe for the forgiveness of sins and for eternal life? Will you believe this account is for your benefit today if you believe, and this is for your benefit today, your eternal benefit, if you have not yet believed? Let's look together. John 19, beginning in verse 31, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. John 19 and verse 31, Since it was the day of preparation... And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And verse 38 says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, as we noted last time, if you were with us last week, we noticed last time at the close of our passage here in John 19, Jesus did not lose his life. He gave it up. John tells us in verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, Jesus did not die until the appointed time by the Father. Jesus was in complete control of his death. He was also in complete control of his resurrection, a truth which we'll see in a future study because his body died but not his spirit. So even in death, Christ remained in control. That brings us to the passage we just read, beginning in verse 31, and the fact that that the timing of Jesus' death leads to these prophecies fulfilled. The timing of Jesus' death, the perfect timing of Jesus' death, leads to these prophecies, which we will see this morning fulfilled. 
we learn in verse 31 that it was the day of preparation. You see it there? It tells us it was the day of preparation, the preparation for the Sabbath. Commentator Leon Morris writes that according to Jewish law, the dead body of an executed criminal was not to remain all night upon the tree, but was to be buried, that thou defile not thy land which Jehovah thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Deuteronomy 21.23 Thus a body should be removed from a cross on any day before the evening, but especially was this the case when a Sabbath was approaching, and even more so when the Sabbath was a high day, i.e. one of the important feasts. The Jews were thus insistent that in this case the bodies should be removed before the feast began. Now this is why, as we see in verse 31, the Jews asked Pilate, that the legs of those who were crucified be broken, that they might take them down and take them away and bury them. But it was the Roman custom to leave the crucified criminal on the cross until he was dead and then beyond that time to be picked apart by vultures, be picked apart by scavengers. And so you have these competing interests. The Jews want the bodies removed. It was Roman Policy. It was Roman practice to leave the body. It was a way of bringing an ultimate shame when these naked bodies of these criminals had been crucified, that they remain after they're dead to be picked apart by wild animals. You might think that was cruel, but it gets worse. It was often the case that the death in this fashion could take as long as three days. While a man hanged on the tree, he would hang from his, suspended from his hands, and it would get harder and harder to breathe. To help him breathe, they would put on the cross, attached and fastened to the cross, a pedestal for his feet. So that when he had trouble breathing, he might push with the feet to give a little rest on the arms to release the pressure on the lungs so he might take a breath. You might think that they were being kind in some way to the criminal being crucified, but in fact it prolonged the agony. There was no mercy in crucifixion. This was the ultimate form of punishment. And so the Roman form of crucifixion possibly taking three days, the Jews are saying, let's break their legs and get it over with. That's why John points out in verse 32 that when the soldiers came to break the legs of the two criminals that were crucified with Jesus to expedite their deaths, Jesus was already dead. So Jesus' death had actually occurred much quicker than anyone expected, much quicker than was normal. Jesus is dead before the soldiers get there to break his legs because he's in control. Even the timing of his death 
And the timing of Jesus' death leads to the fulfillment of prophecy, which is what John points to in verse 33, saying, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. The soldiers had come and broken the legs of the two criminals, and according to tradition, they actually shattered the bones of the legs using an iron mallet. And then it was impossible for the one being crucified to push with the legs, to relieve the pressure on the lungs, to take a breath, to prolong his life. And with broken legs, he would quickly suffocate. But they didn't need to break the legs of Jesus. And John says in verse 36, look at it. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. Now in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46 and Numbers 9, 12, we find a statement that makes it clear that not one bone of the Passover lamb is to be broken. It was tradition, it was Jewish it was a Jewish practice that not one bone of the Passover lamb was to be broken, and there is no more clear fulfillment of the Passover lamb than Jesus Christ. And then there's the prophecy of Psalm 34 and verse 20, which states, He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Prophecy fulfilled. Also, the fact that Christ died much earlier than expected led to his side being pierced, which was not the normal way of doing things. John says in verse 34, look at verse 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. The soldiers did this to be certain Jesus was dead, and even as they did this, None of Jesus' bones were broken. And then John says in verse 37, and again another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Prophecy fulfilled. That's a quote from Zechariah 12.10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So we're seeing here these prophecies fulfilled in Christ. And John has once again pointed to the irony the irony of the Jews following the very letter of the law in having Jesus and the others removed from the cross before nightfall, all the while they are crucifying the very one who came to fulfill the law. God uses even the sinful choices and actions of men to accomplish his purposes. Prophecy fulfilled. Jesus is who he says he is. And John reminds us why this is so important. I believe he's speaking of himself here as the eyewitness in verse 35. Verse 35 says, He who saw it has been his born witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. That's the purpose for which John shows us this prophecy fulfilled, that you 
also may believe. That is also the purpose for which he shows us the next prophecy fulfilled. Isaiah the prophet wrote in Isaiah 53, 9, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. According to Roman custom, those who crucified Jesus had intended to make his grave with the wicked. We've already pointed to it. Death often taking three days to occur on the cross, and then they would leave the tortured body of the one crucified on the cross to be scavenged by vultures. According to Roman custom, those who crucified Jesus had intended to make his grave with the wicked by leaving him on the cross along with the other two after his death to be taken apart by those scavengers. This practice was intended to be the ultimate form of shame and indignity, humiliation, even in death. But if the Jews would have their way, Jesus would have been buried, but not with the rich, but in a place where only criminals were buried outside the city. One way or the other, their intent was to make his grave with the wicked. But Jesus was not left hanging on the cross after his death, and his body was not buried with criminals. So his grave was not with the wicked. But how would Jesus be with a rich man in his death? Christ had no rich relatives that we know of, and the apostles weren't rich. John says in verse 38 that after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Not only is Christ in control of his death, but being alive in the spirit, he moves in the heart of Joseph of Arimathea to take part in the fulfillment of prophecy by his actions. And according to Matthew's gospel, Joseph of Arimathea was rich. According to John here, he is a secret believer, a secret follower of Christ. Mark's gospel tells us that Joseph was also a member of the Sanhedrin. And according to Luke's gospel, he was a good and righteous man. But before Christ's crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea had yielded to the fear of man. He was afraid of losing his power. He was afraid of losing his position. But somehow... He had remained a secret believer, while at the same time, as a member of the Sanhedrin, according to Luke chapter 23 and verse 51, he had not consented to their decision and action against Jesus. But now, after Christ's death, I believe what's happened. Jesus is moving in his heart, giving him holy boldness. Joseph, at great risk to himself, approaches Pilate for the body of Jesus, this one whom the Jews had declared was trying to make himself a rival king to the ruling emperor. This was risky, presenting yourself as one who would want to do something for this man who was considered a criminal, this Jesus. Christ had moved in the heart of Joseph powerfully to now speak boldly, at great risk to himself. And verse 39 shows us that Joseph was joined by Nicodemus, another member of the Sanhedrin. 
John tells us that this is the Nicodemus who earlier had come to Jesus by night. We saw him approach Jesus when we studied this in chapter 3. And now he brings a very costly mixture of myrrh and aloes, and he and Joseph take the body of Jesus and begin wrapping the limbs and torsos separately, which was their custom, sprinkling in this costly ointment as they worked. The cost of this ointment typically would have been the amount that would, be, would have been used to, to honor a king at his death. And John tells us in verse 41, Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Matthew's gospel reveals to us that this was Joseph of Arimathea's own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. Matthew 27:60. So this is how prophecy was fulfilled in that it was the intention of evil men to make the grave of Jesus with the wicked, but it was the intention of God to make his grave with a rich man in his death. So there's another pointer, another reminder to us that God is in control. When you look at your life and you feel like things are out of control, come to John chapter 19. <laughs> God is in control. Jesus moving in the heart of followers as his body is dead, but yet he is alive in spirit. God always fulfills his word. Now there's one more fulfillment of prophecy John points to here. Look at verse 42. So because of the Jewish day of preparation... Since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. You see, Joseph and Nicodemus were in a hurry. They needed to complete the burial of Jesus before the Sabbath began. But God had another reason. In Jesus' own words, from Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. They're in a hurry to bury him before sundown. God's purpose is that his son would fulfill prophecy, his own words. John MacArthur notes in his commentary on John's gospel, quote, the Jews counted any part of a day as constituting a day. Jesus needed to be buried while it was still Friday so he could be in the tomb for three days, part of Friday afternoon, Saturday, and part of Sunday morning. And we know Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, don't we? He rose from the grave on the third day. So Jesus moves in the hearts of these men to accomplish what God's purpose has been all along. He will be buried three days. He will rise from the dead on the third day. Prophecy fulfilled. Why is this here? Why are these truths, why these prophecies pointed to by John, why are they here? Why did God move John to write of these things? Why are we taking the time to study them? These have all been shown to us 
Maybe you can say it with me by now. <laughs> so that we might believe. Right? These have been shown to us so that we would believe. Just as we hear John say in verse 35, go back to verse 35. Again, I think he's speaking of himself here. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. So why is it important that you look to these fulfillments of prophecy as another reason to believe in Jesus Christ? Why is this so important? Because just as we've heard in Jesus' own words from John chapter 11, let me share two verses with you from John 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, here's why this is so important that you believe. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, physically die, right? Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus also said, no one comes to the Father but by me. Why believe? That's why. This is what Christ did for you. Do you see the significance of the death of Christ? Do you understand? Do you see and believe that his sacrifice was for your sins? Do you believe? Today could very well be the day you finally give your life to Christ. May I encourage you not to delay. Do not delay. Look to Christ. Look at the prophecies fulfilled about Christ. He is who he says he is. Look to Christ. Believe and be forgiven your sins and receive the precious gift of eternal life in the name of Jesus Christ. Have you already believed? If so, I say praise God. Have you already trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Praise God. And if you have, I want to ask you, are you fully devoted to living for Christ with every day that God has given you? God gives you breath so that you might exhale praise. God gives you strength so that you might walk in his ways. God gives you concern for others that you might be burdened to share the gospel with them, that they too might know Jesus Christ. Are you devoted to living for Christ with every day that God gives you so that others might know him too? Have you believed? Have you believed? Are you committed to living for Christ because you believe in him? And are you committed to living according to his love for you? Does his love for you, his gracious, all-forgiving love for you, guide you in your love for others? Are you committed to living a Christ-like, 
and holy life? Are you committed to showing the same love that Christ showed to you to others? He has been so gracious. Jesus Christ suffered on the cruel cross of Calvary, shed his blood, bearing our sins, the wrath of God the Father poured out on the Son. Not for anything that he had done, but for your sins and mine. And if you have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, live like it. Live like you believe, would you? Would you follow Christ in the week ahead? Would you walk with him? Would you walk in his word? Would you seek to know his truths that he has been so gracious to give you in his word? Will you follow him? Will you obey him? Will you spread the gospel with your life, by your obedience, in your conversations? If you've not trusted Christ, one more plea. Would you hear me? If you've not believed in Jesus Christ, would you trust him today? We're going to bow our heads in a moment. We're going to have a word of closing prayer, and then we're going to sing a song. But while I'm praying, you can yield your life to Christ. If you don't know him, the evidence is clear. He is who he says he is. He sheds his blood for your sin. He shed his blood. He paid the price, and he said, it is finished. The price has been paid. Receive the free gift of forgiveness of sins and salvation today. Go to him in prayer. Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ.